Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. Good morning, good morning. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy Show. I'm Adol Kozilski. Good morning, Fagy. Good morning, Adol. So happy to be here and finally... Got our doctor on the show to be speaking about something we've been looking forward to speaking about for quite a while. So Yes, indeed. We are very, very privileged to be interviewing Dr. Sumaya Ibrahim. She's a gynecologist in private practice in Houghton, Johannesburg, um, has had a very illustrious career, um, um, was dedicated to public medicine at the Charlotte Bashaki Hospital. She's taught at WITS. She's established and has been championing, championing a safe midwife practice at Linkwood Clinic. She writes, she edits, she public speaks. She's also a board member of Blossom Care Solutions. And she is very, very interested in um, gynecological endoscopic surgery. We know that a lot of women, including myself, and I think every single woman, are either going to be facing menopause or in menopause. And there's so much that goes around discussing what are the right ways, what are the wrong ways. I myself have questions, as I'm sure many, many listeners out there. And so we're going to be speaking to Dr. Ibrahim in a minute. One of the things, uh, just to let you know on a personal basis, and that I was pretty impressed about, is that Dr. Ibrahim prides herself in keeping abreast of developments in the field of women's health. She herself is an avid hiker. She has summited Kilimanjaro. She's hiked in the Peruvian Andes. She's gone to a volcano in the Congo, and she's even looked at the gorillas in Rwanda. (laughs) So that's an absolutely amazing thing, something that I don't think I'm climbing Kilimanjaro. Come on, Adel, we could do it. We'll we'll join you, Dr. Ibrahim. (laughs) She's a mum to teen, two teenage kids who challenge and delight her in ways that are too numerous to highlight. <laughs> and she's also just recently completed a two-year postgraduate course through the University of Stellenbosch on the use of mindfulness mindfulness in medicine. So we're going to have a really nice holistic uh, discussion. And without further ado, good morning, Dr. Ibrahim. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me to be on your show. I feel very privileged here today. Thank you, thank you. Well, today we've decided that we're going to discuss the topic of menopause because it is inevitable for every single woman, right, that uh, we do go through that life change and it comes with so many challenges. And in recent history, there's been so many uh, ideas that have been thrown out as how a woman should navigate it. And um, as being the Healthy You, Wealthy You show, we're always looking for healthy alternatives or alternatives that are just going to help ease our way through this 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 stage in life. So maybe as a a start off, let's have a a description. What is menopause? Okay, so that's a good question because that's where it all begins. At what what do we define as menopause? So the actual term means the end of the the period. That's what the actual term means. So it's usually we define menopause and we say that somebody is in menopause when they've stopped having their period and they haven't had one for six months to a year. And usually it happens in nature when the body has now transitioned from being able to bear children 
to no longer being able to bear children. So remember, we have a similar transition hormonally at puberty when you are no longer, you are no longer a child and you now move into womanhood where you can bear children. Then we have this whole long reproductive lifespan. And now menopause is the other end of that reproductive lifespan where we can no longer produce children. So your body has moved on and the ovaries are no longer producing eggs. So that's what it essentially means. The, the rocky time that everybody knows about with, that is difficult for a lot of women is the perimenopause. And that is the time frame leading up to that final period, which can be like a couple of months. It can last as long as eight years. And it's the time of transition where we start noticing, hey, my period's changing. Or it's too heavy, or it's too light, or now it's becoming painful where it wasn't before. Or now my PMS is different. So that's sort of the continuum of what you want to call menopause, perimenopause. At what age then would you say menopause starts? So if you had to look at the absolute age at which the period stops, the average is around about 50 right? But the range is from 45 to 55. So that would be your range. But your perimenopause then could start as like 42, 43, just depending on where you are actually destined to actually have that final period. And and how, how, how does, how does the body or how do you, how does a person ascertain it? Like obviously, just like when you are going into puberty, you know, some girls get the menstruation at 11, others get it at 13, sometimes like even later, you know, um, what determinate factors are there that start saying to a woman's body, you know, you're changing now, you're kind of like reversing the clock now. I actually like your the analogy of it's kind of like of a switch on and now we're going back to the switch off, you know, uh, period. How does yeah. anybody know when or how do you know when it's happening? You know, lots of times you go, I think I'm in menopause and you're not sure if it's just that, you know, you're having a bad day or there, or there are changes that are happening. So I think the body has an innate sense of what it needs to do, right? So the body will make its decision when it's designed to do so, to go through this end of your reproductive life naturally, if it's not induced by surgery or chemo or et cetera. But how will we know as a woman going through it that my body is making this transition? And it's usually when we start seeing, a, so it starts subtle, subtle changes. So the very first thing people say to me, in, and women and myself included in your early 40s is, hey, my period used to be like clockwork before. It used to come on like every 28 days. Now I've noticed that there's a shift. So either there's some cycles that are 21 days, and some cycles that are now 35 days. So there's a bigger variation in my cycle. Also, sometimes my bleeding is different. Sometimes I bleed very heavy, and then the next cycle is not much. So that has also shifted. And also PMS is more. So I don't remember having such bad mood swings and the bloating and the headaches and the sore boobs for as long as and as severe as before. So these are the changes that we start seeing even before the period disappears. Some people, it's weight gain. 
Some people, as you can see, your metabolism slows down a little bit, so you don't digest as easier. We get food intolerances. We may find we don't sleep so well anymore. We sleep differently. We get a little bit triggered by events in our lives. Anxiety becomes a little bit more. We get overwhelmed by certain things that we could do quite easily before. So this is the kind of thing that starts to creep up. And sometimes we don't make that connection because it's over a period of time until one day somebody will say to you and often the, your, your kids say to you or your spouse says to you, but geez, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Um, they say that every single day. <laughs> I'm not thinking, can I be in menopause in my thirties? Is <laughs> when you're having PMS, it could feel like that because it's almost. <laughs> In the beginning, but you know, with PMS, you recover. Your period comes, just starts and then the PMS disappears. And sometimes that window of that PMS type thing carries on for longer in the perimenopause. And in menopause, it's kind of there for a lot of the time. We're speaking to Dr. Ibrahim. We're talking about all things menopause. This definitely is something that you need to listen up to because wherever you are in your cycle, it's it's information that you either can use for yourself or you can actually share with a sister or friend or anybody else that is female, anybody that's got a double X chromosome. You've got to listen up. This is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Welcome back. We're talking to Dr. Ibrahim. We're talking menopause. Dr. Ibrahim, I think one of the the things that that we, we try to do a lot today in today's society, and I think it's across the board, it's not only directed particularly at menopause, um, but certainly through our entire I know female reproductive life is that we try to control things, right? So as soon as the girl starts having having her period, then we're trying to control it because it's too heavy, it's too sore, she's too moody, she's too this, she's got acne. Then we, you know, we go into our real reproductive st- uh, place and we are trying to control when to have children and when not to have children. And then certainly. Once you have finished having your children, you know, you're looking at quite a long run until you eventually get to, to, to menopause, having no period, kind of maybe being a little bit more free, but I don't think I've ever met anybody that says I'm completely free because our hormones are wreaking havoc on us. Now, there's a lot of medication out of there and there's a lot of therapies. Can you speak to that? Like, what should, what should we be doing? to ensure the integrity of our health because sometimes we hear of therapies, medications that we're taking that give us short-term relief, but we land up with long-term problems. Okay, so wow. So that's quite a question. Um, I think the most important thing that we can do for ourselves as women who are busy, we have lives, we have children to manage, we often have jobs to manage is to look after certain things. And in my job every day, the most important thing is look after what you put in your body, what you put on your body, and what you put in your mind. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so, so let's divide those up. Let's talk about what we're putting in our body. Let's start with that. Body. What's super important is your food, right? What you're eating or what you're not eating, Right. 
But food is, food should really be our medicine, right? So what should we be eating? And I mean, we all know this to a certain degree. Um, do we actually pay attention? And we don't, right? So the food, the most important thing is to, to eat. I believe we eat too much, that we eat too many calories and we eat too many animal products. So I don't think we sh- should, you, and some people it's appropriate to go vegetarian, but you don't have to. I think you need to eat clean as the food occurs naturally in nature. So it needs to be consumed. Anything as a rule that's highly processed should not be consumed. So if you're looking at an ingredient list that has 50 things you do not recognize, don't eat it. And the more ease that are on there, you don't know what is in that stuff. You don't know what chemicals they've used to process it. And you don't know what effect it has on the body. So if it's a toss-up between eating an apple and an energy bar, eat the apple. Because that occurs naturally in nature. Having said that, our food is not nutritionally as dense as it used to be 50 years ago. It's farming, it's seeds, it's all sorts of things. But my view is if you eat it clean as it occurred naturally in nature, that's already a start. Eat more plants. You can eat animal, but make sure your animal is of good quality, hmm. which means fish. Sorry, as long as you, got, you dropped there, the first one you're saying is fish. Fish is really good as long as it's not farmed. It's very difficult to get unfarmed salmon today because most of it is farmed. But you want to make sure your source is relatively a good source. If you're eating meat, grass-fed is what you have to go for because grass-fed is rich in omega-3, and omega-3 is what we need for heart health, hormonal health. Grain-fed makes it pro-inflammatory. So too much grain increases inflammation in the body, which creates allergies, heart disease, abnormal hormones, period pains, all sorts of things. So you want to stay away from grain-fed. Okay, Chicken, sometimes it depends on your source, full of hormones, Sometimes it's grain-fed, which then whatever the chicken, right? So whatever the chicken ate, you're eating. Absolutely. Because remember, the chicken needs to grow. It needs a nutrient profile. It makes its muscle from the food it gets. And so the grains that they're eating also have an effect on our insulin, which has an effect on hormones. Correct. So the, the, the grains, are going to in, in change your omega-6 ratio in the body. Mm-hmm. And if you're eating uh, and you're cooking with olive oil and seed oils, etc., you're getting too much of omega-6 anyway. And that's what you get out of the grain. So then you need to balance it with the correct omega-3s. And if you don't know that, you don't need to know that you're doing that, we have more inflammation, which then shows up in my realm as period pain, endometriosis, that kind of nutritional profile leading to disease than anything else. Obesity, insulin resistance, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which then just fuels that inflammatory cascade and the the problems that we see, like as we label diseases. Right, so food is super important. If you feel that your food is not nutritionally dense, find your source, grow it yourself. You may want to take a supplement from a good source if you feel, and you know, not all of us will eat exactly the same. 
like we need to every single day. There'll be some times when you, your diet will be really good, and then there'll be some times when your diet isn't. And that's also okay. Sugar, you know, we don't really need the amount of sugar that we eat. WHO has said you need, as an adult, you need not more than five teaspoons of sugar a day. Most of us consume way more than that. A glass of Coke is six teaspoons of sugar. So if you have a glass as one thing of your day, you've already surpassed your daily requirement. And then too much sugar becomes pro-inflammatory again. So carbs, like refined carbs, are not great. causes PCOS, creates inflammation. So, And then it affects your reproduction function. So what you put into your body, how you feed it, is super, super important. Right? So that's, yeah. You so then would you question. say then someone going through menopause, the way that they've eaten throughout all the years before that would kind of have an easier time than someone that doesn't eat well? Yeah. So look, I find, so often the comment I get is, doctor, I'm eating the same thing I did 10 years ago, but now my body's responding differently when you're in menopause. And I say absolutely 100% I believe you. And why is that? One, because your body, after a while, you know, if you take an analogy of a, a cell phone, right, you can't charge an iPhone with a Samsung charger. doesn't work, right? The body is a little bit more forgiving. You can put the wrong fuels into it. It will still work. But after a while, the processes break down. It will say, I'm not happy with what you're doing. So now this won't function properly and that won't function properly. And we start to break down. It's a sign that the body's saying, I'm not happy. Right. So now when you hit menopause, if you've had 20 years of eating incorrectly, what's going to happen? You're starting to age. There's a metabolic shift. There's a hormonal shift. Now your body says, I can't anymore. I'm decompensating. I can't digest this. I'm going to get bloated. I can't process all the calories, so now I gain the weight, right? Because your body has also aged. So you have to adjust and change things at different points in your life according to what your body is capable of doing. And that is the shift we need to make. It's a psychological headspace shift. Yeah. Say my body go back to where I was. And you know, who wants to? Mm. But some people, it's to say, I feel... I've got to say, I've got to meet myself where I'm at right now. So right now I'm 45. Right now my body's capable of this. And what can I give my body that it needs today? It needs good nutrition. It needs exercise. One single point that you can do for your life is exercise, right? And again, exercise, you've got to be mindful of what you are doing. When we get older, over 40, our bodies can't tolerate heat and all the time. Yes, it can do that, but we need to do it differently. We need recovery days in between. If we're already over-adrenalized and stressed from life, and then our first instinct is, oh my goodness, to lose weight, I need to burn more calories, I need to do more exercise. And often, you need to step it down, because every time you increase your exercise, you up your cortisol temporarily. And if your cortisol is already elevated from a stress response, you're going to deplete yourself. So you've got to actually, the body actually has to feel, it has to feel let down and that release 
of that, you know what it feels like when your body's relaxed. Everybody knows that, right? So if your body doesn't feel that release and it's only staying adrenalized, it will just function there. And then that's not doing you any favors in the long run. So it then holds on to the extra weight and you don't actually lose the middle, which is what sometimes happens in the perimenopause or the menopause. You have to be mindful of calories, how much you're eating, how much you're exercising. There has to be a deficit. Are, and you, you, will... are you in favor of intermittent fasting for people in peri and perimenopausal and menopausal women? So, you know, I can't really recommend a blanket solution for everybody because, as you know, all people are different. And for some people, intermittent fasting works amazingly well. Like for me, it's like the best thing I've ever done. But for some of my other patients, it's like the worst thing they've ever done. So you can't do it. I think it depends on your constitution, your metabolism, and your basic genetics and your body type. So it's worth experimenting and actually seeing what you're getting and then saying, okay, where do I feel the best? Where am I getting the best result? And then listening, paying attention to the signals you're getting from your body and saying, like, this makes me feel terrible. I feel 10 times worse. Don't do it to yourself. Mm-hmm. When you feel your body secretes a certain endocrine blueprint compared to when you're experiencing joy and you're feeling light, etc., and that change in that blueprint informs your health going forward. You know, you know, like, for example, let me give you an example. Let's say you eat a bar of chocolate, right? And you eat that bar of chocolate, like hiding. You don't want your kids to see you eating that chocolate and you're feeling guilty and you're like half in the cupboard and like shouldn't be eating that. Because <laughs> it's going in and you're stuffing it in and like, it's like all this emotion and guilt and this roundabout loop that we go into when you eat the chocolate, right? Versus if you're sitting by yourself and you peel that wrapper off the chocolate and you breathe and you take a bite of the chocolate and you're savoring every bite and you, it's almost like a spiritual experience. Right, you, you know, I, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Everyone is being. <laughs> I think I know the first part, not the second. <laughs> it's the, the effect in the body from an endocrine system and hormonal system is going to be the complete opposite in either mm. scenario. We say if you want the chocolate, have it and savor it, because you may find actually I don't need the whole bar. Right, I'm just my, stuffing it into my mouth because I think I must have it, and then I'm. If, as opposed to if I have two blocks, I'm so full at the end of it that I've enjoyed such a beautiful experience. I don't need more. And so they consumed like a third of the calories. Right. Okay. So like, like I, I think that what you're saying in summation in terms of what you're putting into your body is that if you can't recognize it, I keep on saying this to my grandkids, you know, when we go into the store and they want something to buy, I said, do you see this grow on the trees? If it doesn't grow on the trees or grow on the ground, we're not buying it. You know, you're eating plastic and you're eating paint and you're eating all sorts of things that are so processed that they're, they're useless to the body, you know, and, and, and eat it and see what it makes you feel because you'll see that your body isn't going to go, yay, 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 like I feel so vibrant and healthy that, you know, it's jumping for joy. You're probably going to feel sick or you're going to feel bloated or you're going to feel nauseous or you're going to feel hyperactive. 
And I think it, it, it is about listening to ourselves. I think we've lost that, that ability to go and say, how does this make me feel? You know, mm. let's talk about what we put on our body because that, that discussion isn't a big discussion out there. So what you put on your body, so the average person puts an average of eight every day. Sorry, eight? So if you eight products, counting your soap, your toothpaste, your hair gel, your makeup, your foundation, your moisturizer. I mean, there's like a, that's a lot of stuff, right? Now, we don't even know what half of these things do to our bodies. And there's no studies who looks at this stuff. It's produced by cosmetic industries whose primary reason is to turn a profit, right? Mm. There are, so there are certain things that we don't know if they, we call them endocrine disruptors. So they can bind to, like we know microplastics is an endocrine disruptor, right? Yes. Um, or that, um, Parabens are endocrine disruptors, so they can mimic estrogen-like effects in the body without being actual estrogen. So, And we know that too much of estrogen in a bad way is not great for us. Breast cancer, endometrial cancer, all the high estrogen-dominant things. So you want to know that your moisturizer you're putting on is paraben-free. Okay, There are products out there, read labels. Right, there are websites out there that you can go and type in your product and it will spit out a list of ingredients of what's on that list and what isn't on that list. Your makeup, your facial products, everything. Look, it sometimes it becomes a bit harder to find because it's not available. The, the chemical free stuff is not available everywhere, like in all the major supermarkets, the easy to find retail outlets, but they are out there and people are becoming more and more aware. Of this. So beauty products are now being developed that are, they've got less crap in it. And like one of the big things to give you an idea was sunblock, mm-hmm. right? In some sunblocks, the older sunblocks, there were these products that were not only bad for you, but also bad for, Sorry, bad for the people. environment. Environment. Right. People were swimming in the, on the Great Barrier Reef and all the sunblock killed the coral. Wow. Right? So, so now there are, now sunblocks are being made without that horrible ingredient in it so that it's safer for you and for the environment. And then there's also the big one I think is, 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 uh, deodorant and people that are dyeing their, their hair with all sorts of, of colorants and, and stuff to, to, you know, to keep away the gray hairs. And, and, and nail polish, like there's all this nail stuff that goes on. I know for myself, particularly my body, I think I've painted my nails maybe 10, 10 times in my entire life because as soon as I put on these nail polishes, um, my skin has such a terrible reaction to them and I feel like, like something's eating it away by the time they've put it on and they've taken it off with the stuff. So they've hardened it and they've done whatever have you. My, my body goes, whoa, <laughs> don't stick this, this, this type of thing on. So not to say you mustn't do it. The point is, ask the question, what's in this product? Right. And pay attention. Find, if you want to do it, I mean, we all want to, there's a lot of pressure on all of us to look amazing, to feel amazing, this youthfulness, whatever. Not to say you mustn't aspire to that if that's what floats your boat. But it means do it in a way that is, 
I use the word over and over, mindful of yourself, your health, and your environment. Mm. And everybody has to handle the product. So if we all live consciously, like where is this product coming from? What does it mean? Where is it going? What's Where is it going to end up? Is it going to end up in our water? Is it going to contaminate this? You start asking the questions, we start living a different life. I think my understanding of all of this, um, Dr. Ibrahim, is that you're trying to say that the the products that we're putting onto our skin, but including the, our environment, is actually having an, a huge effect on our hormones and on on us as humans. Um, I mean, I'm, we've discussed this a couple of times on the radio, but it would be your cleaning products in your homes, your bleachers, your handy andies, your bath, you know, what you're cleaning your, your home with. That not only, you know, just, just to try and keep things as natural as possible so that your body can kind of do what it has to do. This is 101.95 FM. We're speaking to Dr. Ibrahim, we're talking about uh, menopause and how we should really pause and uh, see what it is we're putting in our bodies and on our bodies. We'll be back shortly. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Dr. Ibrahim, before the break, we also spoke about mindfulness, and I think that this is now starting to become a very big player. In, in, in women's health. Can we talk to what does it mean? What are we sticking in our brains or how, how, what, what are we doing for our, our well-being? Because I think that women today have embraced the, the outside world in such a, in such a revolutionary way. And again, <clears throat> I'm not the biggest feminist, but I am a businesswoman. I am out there. You know, I've raised a, a large family. Um, you know, I've gone out there and conquered the world, but it does have an effect on who we are. So how do we balance all that stress, all that adrenaline and cortisol that we're pumping out like like we are a warrior out fighting a battle or, or, or you know, trying to get a kill in, 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 in the wilds? So, so if you want to look at it from a mindfulness perspective, right? So let me maybe start with what is mindfulness. So mindfulness is when we pay attention on purpose, right? Moment by moment. So we break it down. We pay attention on purpose, moment by moment, to what is unfolding in front of us with certain attitudinal qualities of compassion and kindness and non-judgment to ourselves and to whoever we're dealing with in that environment. So, and then it's, we, the idea is that it allows your brain to free itself from these loops we go into and getting caught up in this full catastrophe living that we have to, to live in. So we've always got load shedding and we've got corruption and we've got burglaries and robberies and economic distress and all sorts of things. But when we pay attention mindfully, like on purpose, to everything, our health, our families, our relationships, all of a sudden there's a richness there that we see and health and the pause of menopause is is just that. When we start paying attention, when we not live on top of our bodies and our bodies we have to pummel it to look a certain way and we've got a on the outside only, we forget that we're also inner beings with minds and internal workings that, and we, that we stop paying attention to. Then it shows up as ill health. 
So, and even in the menopause, I find patients who have got, who've gone and done the inner work, they cope way better in the menopause in than women who want to go back to the old way. So they're not in touch with who they are and who they are in relation to everything else and everyone else. So it's just like you get a sense of that there's an acceptance that you're moving and also when menopause does come, you are in a stage of life where you've probably either raised children or you're almost at the end of raising children, your identity's changing. You know, there is that, that, that midlife crisis, but it's the way that you embrace it and, and, you know, you, you, what you look at that, that, that will help you through this period. I think it's a psychological reframe. So the patients who say, oh, my goodness, woe is me, I'm aging, it means I can't have children anymore, what's going to happen to me, going to get sick, I'm different, versus cope less well than women who, oh, my goodness, what an exciting time to be alive. My children are now needing me less. They're more independent. I now have more time for myself. I can now focus on other things. And it's almost like a new energy rising. I used to do some talks with a psychologist on menopause. And she used to say, don't, how do you frame your hot flush? When you lie (laughs) of the night and you're having a hot flush, it is a new energy rising. It's time your body is telling you it's time for something different. And how are you going to to take you to a different level. I mean, it's a complete psychological reframe. Mm, mm, mm. Make it easier by discussing what you need to do with your body and what you put in and what you put on and what you put in your mind. And sometimes we use vitamins and minerals and medication as part of that plan. But the the beginning, the foundation gets laid by the psychological framing of it. Can we can we talk a little bit about hormone replacement therapy? Where are you on the spectrum of do I or do I not go through the process of hormone replacement therapy because I've got a bad I've got bad flushes or I'm really moody I'm anxious uh, uh, whatever like where where if if somebody came and said to you what should I do where do where do you hold on on this topic? So as a clinician. I have to present both sides of all arguments. I can't take a side and say, this is my view and I will take this view to my death because everybody needs a different solution. So there are some women who don't need it and they can't have it for a variety of medical reasons. And there are some women whose quality of life is affected so badly that they need it. And there are some women who are ambivalent about it and I'm happy to provide them the information so they can make an informed decision. So I am all for what the patient wants and needs rather than what is my view on HRT. So I will discuss the pros and cons of everything. I know it's like I'm not taking a stance. I'm standing on the fence, right? Mm. But there are many benefits. There are some drawbacks. So what HRT is doing for you in whatever form you take it, is it's putting back into your body what your body is no longer able to produce when it's moved away from reproduction. So you're putting back the estrogen and the progesterone 
and sometimes the testosterone and sometimes the DHEA. All the things that you were making, but now you no longer make. Right. And what does that do? The health benefits it confers, it retards the progression of physiological aging. So it improves cardiovascular benefit. It improves bone density. It reduces Alzheimer's and dementia. There are costs, though, depending on how you take it. So some costs can be increased risk of stroke, but we can mitigate that. By the risk and the breast cancer link, traditionally, which used to come up a lot, we've now moved on from that discussion. New research has shown that the original breast cancer risk that came up in the original trials was vastly overestimated. And it, and the best person to get hormones now we know from the trials and the research is right at the onset of menopause. You can't age and not take anything for 10 years and then put it back in the equation. It can make the situation worse. So the person who's going to take it who will get the best benefit out of it has to be right at the onset of the menopause and her last period and from that point on. So, yes, you can make a strong case for do you need it, don't you need it, will you take it, won't you take it. And often the question I get asked is, if menopause is a natural process, why do we need to interfere with it, right? But also remember, it's not natural to live to 85. You know, if life is... It wasn't natural to live to 85. Now it's natural to live to 85, Right. So before, in Roman times, you were, at 25, you were dead. We wouldn't even be sitting here, right? right? You had your children, and then you died. Nobody made it to menopause. In the 1950s, life expectancy was maybe 50, 55. So you went through menopause. You spent five years of your life on the other side of your hormones. Okay, so now life expectancy is 85 on average. So you, some people will live to a hundred, right? So which means you're going to spend 30 years of your life on the other side of your home. So how would you choose to live that life? So some people who have no transition symptoms and they're functioning well and they're living amazingly and they'll say, I feel like I don't need it. I'm happy to do without, but that's fine. As long as you understand you're making an informed decision to understand what are health risks in that age group of women. And what is important to you in terms of how you choose to live that part of life? So often people will say to me, I just want to live my life with as much energy and vitality. And um, I'm trying to find the word. I'm sure there's a word in Hebrew that uh, that's the, uh, like the Afrikaans word, like yes. You know, I want to live with, 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 with It's called highest, but believe it or not in Hebrew. <laughs> right, the same thing. <laughs> enthusiasm for life and I want to live life. And so some people's real problems in their families is dementia and Alzheimer's. And they say, I really don't want to get there. I've watched a parent or I've watched a family member and I'd like to prevent that for myself. And so we have that discussion around HRT. But it means, can it prevent? Will it prevent? How long do I have to take it? If I take it for prevention of that, And these are the kinds of discussions that we need to have. So each individual person will have a spectrum of risks based on their genetic and a a spectrum of health concerns going forward. And then that decision gets made based on each individual. 
Right. I think, I think you've given a very balanced view to it, you know, and I think it is important that it is an individual discussion. And I guess there's also all the bearing of, you know, where you've come from, what you're eating, what you're doing, what's your lifestyle. What people's symptoms are, how they're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there, there, there's a huge thing. We're, we're coming close to the end of our talk. We've got about two minutes left. If you would sum up, um, menopause, what, what would, what, what would you want our listeners to, 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 to understand about menopause? Okay. So pause. There you go. And reevaluate where you're at. Because I think nature intended for us to pause at that moment. Take a step back. Where am I going? What do I want? What's important to me in life? And then it's like a recalibrate. I think, I think, I, I absolutely love what you're saying. I happen to be in, in, in that stage. I'm a, I'm a grandmother already. And I'm definitely you know, learning about the stage. <laughs> so you could be really, really prepared. But I think that you're right that um, the majority of, of women around me, my age, you know, there, there is this thing of, um, kind of like a loss of identity once you've raised your family and you've moved on, you need to go find yourself. And there is, you need to have that pause. And I think most importantly, you need to have the courage to look inside and recalibrate. And I think if you go from that source, you know, then things are different. Today, we tend to just try to find the quickest fixes to make the quickest things work the quickest way and just move on without understanding the repercussions of, you know, what will happen down the line. Absolutely. And I think it's so important. That's why this discussion is so important for communities is for spouses and children to understand that actually mom or my wife needs some breathing space. All need to lay off a little bit. Yeah. On the um, So while she's gaining her second wind, because it's a really, really important time. If we ignore this time, we get sick. If we recalibrate, we come out with a renewed energy and a vigor to deal with that next phase of our lives. And we just come up with this beautifulness that we're able to contribute to the rest of society. There you go. That was really, really wise words. And Dr. Ibrahim, we're not going to leave you off the hook because there's so much to discuss about women's health. And uh, we're definitely going to invite you back again to discuss, you know, um, different aspects of women's health simply because it's important for women to stop and listen to themselves as opposed to just being these, I don't know, outward crazy machines. We do so much for, you know, so many people that we tend to forget about ourselves. And I think that that's very, very important. And I really love the idea of that mindfulness because, you know, when you do look at the situation in a positive view, things really do, you know, like turn out better and people kind of appreciate where they're at in, the, in that moment. Thank you so much for your for your time and for your expertise and your incredible wisdom. And uh, we look forward to having further conversations with you. If anybody would like to get hold of you, is there a way that they can? Um, yeah, there's a website with all our details on it. Um, it's very easy. It's www.baginations.co.za. So everything on the practice, everything is on that website. Um, phone numbers, contact pages, all of that. It's .co.za, not .com. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Uh, to all our listeners, have a wonderful, mindful week ahead, Faggy, as always. It's been wonderful, and thank you again, Dr. Ibrahim.